This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing and Sun Life Financial. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. J'ai la conviction que l'avenir du Québec, c'est de devenir un pays souverain. This week, there was a drastic change in Canada's political landscape as the Parti Québécois won a minority government in Quebec. What does that mean for Zoomers who live in La Belle Province? We'll talk to Susan Eng, Vice President of Advocacy from CARP, to find out. Plus, today, our very own team Zoomer is taking part in the Princess Margaret Hospital's Weekend to End Women's Cancers. It's the start of a season of walks, runs, and bike rides to raise money for many good causes. So we thought it was a good time to take another listen to our interview with Karen Grieve-Young of Charity Intelligence Canada. She'll tell us what questions to ask to make sure we know where our money is going and how it's being spent. And one of the greatest soul singers of all time would have celebrated his 71st birthday today. But sadly, Otis Redding died in a tragic airplane accident when he was just 26 years old. Today we'll honor him and hear the first posthumously released song to reach the number one spot on the Billboard charts. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. September 5th marked the 40th anniversary of the Munich massacre at the 1972 Olympic Games when Palestinian gunmen seized 11 Israeli athletes from the Olympic Village and held them hostage over political demands. A solemn ceremony was held at the first in Feldbrook Air Base, the site where many of the Israeli hostages lost their lives. The audience heard Christian and Jewish prayers spoken against a backdrop of the faces of the victims. The prayers and addresses to the audience were interspersed with singing and music, including a muted piece by a jazz orchestra played before an audience of at least 500 people. The ceremony comes just over a month after petitions to have a moment of silence at the London Olympic opening ceremonies were denied. There's some good news out of America for older workers. The unemployment rate for people over 55 dipped from 6.2% in July to 5.9% in August. But Zoomers still have the toughest time when it comes to the length of unemployment. Workers over 55 face an average 52.7 weeks in between jobs, compared to 36.1 weeks for younger workers. Meanwhile, another study out of the U.S. shows that living together is becoming a popular trend amongst Zoomers in love. The number of older, unwed couples living together has doubled from about 1.2 million in the year 2000 to 2.75 million in the year 2010. The study, published in the Journal of Marriage and Family, finds that people who live together have remarkably stable relationships and that death is more likely to change the cohabiting status rather than breakups or marriages. 
And finally, we all know that regular exercise is a great way to help stave off the negative effects of aging, but new research shows that adding some fish oil with that exercise may double your rewards. Findings of a recent trial show that women over 65 who received omega-3 rich fish oil gained almost twice as much muscle strength following exercise than those taking just olive oil. During healthy aging, muscle size is reduced between half a percent and two percent a year. The process can result in frailty and immobility. Being able to maintain your muscle mass can go a long way to increasing the quality of life as you age. I'm Libby Zneimer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. This week, the citizens of Quebec voted for dramatic change as they ousted Jean Charest and the Liberal Party and voted in Pauline Marois' Parti Québécois. I'm joined now by CARP's VP of Advocacy, Susan Eng. Susan, what does this change mean for Zoomers? Well, like for everybody else in Quebec, they're going to wait for the other shoe to drop. They're going to wonder if this changes uh, any attention to the things that matter to them, if everybody's going to be wrapped up with the whole sovereignty and language issue and letting the other things that matter to their everyday lives, you know, get passed by. And that's the worry that I have for our members in Quebec. One of the things that's predicted is that they are going to give the students everything they want, uh, which which would be rescinding that, that tuition increase that they protested about. And uh, my question is, if they give the students everything they want, will there be anything left for Zoomers? Well, you know, I don't want to get into an intergenerational war here, but yeah, it's a, it's a valid question. It's a real issue. Now, they have talked about balancing their budget, and they've done it before in the history of the PQ governments, um, uh, balancing the budget by increasing tax rates on higher income individuals. But there's so few of those in the province, so I'm not sure if they're really going to get the kind of income flows. I think this makes more critical something that we We've been advocating before, which is that you do have to uh, fully, fundamentally restructure how you deliver on healthcare services so that you can afford to provide the services that are necessary. So stop with the long-term care homes and the hospital stays and focus in on helping people stay at home. Now, there's, there's also a lot of concern during the campaign. There were some uh, positions that a lot of people felt were extreme, this talk of uh, no religious symbols except crosses. Uh, you can't run for office unless you speak French. How will that affect Zoomers? Well, interestingly, you know, our members, when we asked them about things not specifically concerned with our advocacy platform, but on broader issues, you will find that this is a group that's very progressive, that cares about the broader sort of demographic uh, changes, the democratic environment, a very tolerant and inclusive mentality among our membership. And so they're not going to take well to some of the kind of nearly xenophobic commentary that that has come out. And I'm hopeful on their behalf that this was just electioneering. You might campaign to the extremes, but govern towards the middle. Mm -hmm. And I think that is is really the Canadian way. 
Mm -hmm. And does CARP have any plans for making any representations to this new government? Uh, How are you going to approach it? Well, as with every provincial government, this is the focus that we're going to be taking on in the upcoming year uh, to to focus in with the provincial governments on a major issue, that of health care. That is, of course, a provincial concern. And also the fallout to the OAS changes because it's going to fall to the provincial budgets to pick up the slack if there's going to be one. So we will be focusing in on all the provinces. We had before the summer a visit out to the Maritimes and Mm -hmm. uh, later in November we'll be heading out west uh, to to BC. So each time we go to one of um, the different parts of the country, we do reach out to the provincial governments on their issues. And so the same thing with Quebec. Okay, so I guess it's time to start planning that trip. Yes. Luckily, they, they haven't cut the train service yet. <laughs> that, we shouldn't even joke about that. I guess not. Sorry. Okay. Susan Eng, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure. We'll be sure to keep you up to date with any major changes as we watch Quebec's new provincial government over the next few months. I'm Libby Snymer, and you're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. And as you're listening, Team Zoomer is walking through the streets of Toronto to raise money for the Princess Margaret Hospital. This is one of many causes competing for your money. How do you know who will make the most of your donation? In just a moment, we'll revisit our interview with Karen Grieve-Young from Charity Intelligence Canada. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing and Sun Life Financial. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. By now, you're probably well aware that Team Zoomer is walking through the streets of Toronto this weekend to raise money for the Princess Margaret Hospital Foundation. It's just one of the many charity walks, runs, and bike rides happening through September and October. But when it comes time to donate, how do you know exactly where your money is going and how it will be used? Let's take another listen to our interview with Karen Grieve-Young from Charity Intelligence Canada. Karen, thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Thank you, Libby. Now, first of all, tell us what Charity Intelligence does for people. Absolutely. So Charity Intelligence Canada is a mostly volunteer-run charity itself that just wants to give Canadian donors the facts and the figures so that they can make intelligent donation decisions. Now, if you think about your financial accounts, you would never give your money to a broker and say, you seem nice, here you go, and not worry about the impact that your investments could have, i.e. your return on investment and the increase in your accounts. But what happens in charitable donations so often, too often, is that people make a donation without thinking, how much of this money is going to the charity itself as opposed to raising money? And how much of this money is going to achieve real impact? What are the programs that this money will actually go to? And is this the charity where I can have the biggest impact on either saving lives or improving treatment or improving experience for Canadians, which is why you're making the donation in the first place? Now, I know a lot of people who expect that 100% of their dollar (laughs) that they give is going to go to the charity's work, whether it's research or support or whatever it happens to be. Now, when you talk to people who are expert in this, they say, come on, it costs money to raise money. So what is an appropriate level 
of the cost of fundraising? How do you even figure out what it is? It does, unfortunately, cost money to make money. If you are the best kept secret in the health charity sector, you are likely to not be very well funded because if you're a secret, the donors don't know about you. Ideally, we like to see fundraising costs as a percent of income below 30%. If it can be closer to 20%, that's brilliant. For instance, Terry Fox Foundation, which is a huge charity, only has less than 12% in fundraising costs. It's largely volunteer and grassroots run. It does not have a lot of overhead the way that some of the other charities have. Terry Fox, which is one of the lowest, has 11.5% fundraising costs plus 6.1% administrative costs. Absolutely. So having less than 20% in total administrative and fundraising is quite extraordinary. Some of the others are a lot higher. Some of them are over 50%, and that gets to the point where you really wonder, is this the best use of my donation? Is it going where I want it to go? What are the other things that we should look at? You want to look at what the programs are that the money would go for. Firstly, do those programs resonate with what's important to you? And secondly, do those programs feel like they are the best way to have impact? One of the things that we talked about, for instance, in the cancer report that we published last spring was that there are certain cancers that don't have very much funding relative to others. So pancreatic cancer, stomach cancer, lung cancer, and colorectal cancer get much less funding than other cancers, which means that in a way there's there's more room to have impact there, whereas a very well-funded health charity might need the money less, which isn't to say that it doesn't serve a very real health need. But if you, the donor, want to have the greatest impact with your donation, you want to give it to the charity that has the greatest need. So Pancreatic Cancer Canada, which is a charity that I'm involved in, I'll come clean, is a very small charity. And uh, it has very, very low overhead and fundraising costs, basically because at this point we have two full-time volunteers. We know ultimately that's not sustainable, but for now these two wonderful women continue to give all their time for free. Uh, and some people say you have to worry when the costs are too low. I wouldn't worry if the costs are too low if I knew that there were dedicated volunteers who have a long-term commitment involved. I might say that it, when the costs are particularly low, the charity might not be achieving its full potential. The charity with, a, with an investment in fundraising expertise or marketing expertise might be able to bring in so many more donations that it could really magnify its potential impact. Now, I, I'm looking again at some of the highest expenses. One of them that really piqued my interest, there was the uh, Cystic Fibrosis Canada. Now, very high admin and fundraising, together almost 55%. But the note said that they have adhered voluntarily to new and stricter accounting standards, which means they may have put things in their costs that other charities leave out. Right. And there's a lot of overlap in health charities in particular. We've Most people who donate to health charities, and I know you are very active in uh, the walks and the runs, are, are participating in, for instance, fundraising events, which are, we all know are not just fundraising events. They are fundraising events, and they are awareness-building events, and they are marketing events. And I believe there's some latitude in how those are accounted for. 
One thing that we recommend, that Charity Intelligence recommends, is that you not only look for the impact a charity can have, but you look for a charity that could use your money now. So if a charity has between about six months and two years of their operating costs in reserves, it means that actually your donation will go to immediate use with the charity. Think about the the relative need. Think about the need of the charity. Do you have anything that would be like a checklist for people? The first check is, is it important to me? The second check would be how much of my money would go to the cause? You can look at it in terms of the percent that won't go to administrative and fundraising expenses. You can also look at it as how high their reserves are and how, how badly they need your money. And then if you want to go into even further detail, you can look at what is the real impact, what feels like the real impact of the programs that they have. And that's where you might want to call and speak to someone at the charity, ask them for how do they measure success? How do they measure impact? How do they keep themselves accountable to their donors? Okay. Karen Grieve-Young, thanks so much. Great to see you. And you. For more information, go to charityintelligence.ca. I'm Libby Snymer, and you're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. In just a moment, we'll remember Otis Redding on what would have been his 71st birthday, and we'll hear the song he recorded just three days before his death. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing and Sun Life Financial. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. It's time now for your international arts datebook. Tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. Here's Jane Brown. In New York City, David Schwimmer of TV's Friends headlines Detroit, a comedy directed by Anne Kaufman and written by Lisa Demour. It's a play about two couples who meet who very much want to be the other couple. Uh, one is a restless couple in search of stability, and the other is a stable couple in search of something more wild and restless. Detroit is in previews at Playwright Horizons on West 42nd Street. To London, where chess lovers can enjoy art inspired by the game. The Art of Chess is on display at Saatchi Gallery. And in Australia, music, theater, dance, comedy, and circus offer inspiration at the Brisbane Festival, which continues until the end of the month. I'm Jane Brown, and that's your International Arts Datebook. Thanks, Jane. Today, the great soul singer Otis Redding would have celebrated his 71st birthday. Sadly, he only lived to the age of 26 when, like so many other great musicians, his tour plane was involved in an accident and everyone on board was killed. During his short career, Otis's big voice made him a legend. It helped define the soul sound of the 1960s, and the inspiration he provided to other artists has earned him the nickname the King of Soul. He had huge hits with songs like Respect and Try a Little Tenderness, but his most popular song was recorded just three days before the tragic plane crash that claimed his life. It would go on to be the first posthumously released single to reach the top of the Billboard charts. Here it is, sitting on the dock of the bay. I'll be 
That was the great Otis Redding with Sittin' on the Dock of the Bay. Today would have been his 71st birthday. And that brings us to the end of another edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. I hope you'll be back next week when we tackle a subject that seems to make many people uncomfortable, end-of-life planning. We'll tell you why you need to prepare that power of attorney now. See you then. You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing and Sun Life Financial. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.